When he was a kid, State Senator John Rizzo stuffed envelopes for political campaigns and slid around the floors of the Missouri Capitol in his socks. Later, he followed in his father's footsteps and joined the Missouri General Assembly. The Democrat from Independence talks to us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking. Let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. Well, we want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. Hi, and welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Julie O'Donohue, and joining me from Jefferson City is my co-host, Jacqueline Driscoll, and our special guest, Senator John Rizzo. Uh, welcome to this episode of Politically Speaking. This is the first one I'm doing where I'm interviewing someone remotely. So you all are in our office in Jefferson City, and thanks for being with us. Uh, so, Senator Rizzo, uh, this is your first time on the podcast, right? Yes, it is. Yep. All right. Well, why don't you tell us about the boundaries of your Senate district? What area do you represent? So my district runs from the northeast part of Kansas City, um, east to uh, just a little bit of uh, Levesey. And then north is the uh, river is the boundary. And then south, it kind of dips down to Woods Chapel Road and uh, Lee Summit Road and takes in a little bit of Lee Summit. And can you describe how you got interested in politics? I, it sounds like your both of your parents were in elected office, right? Yeah, I kind of uh, came by it naturally. Um, I have an older brother, and uh, we were, from a young age, very... Uh, civically involved with uh, both my parents. Um, my dad had a longer career uh, in politics, but usually in summers when we were home from school, we were helping out on different campaigns and, and elections, and uh, he didn't like it as much as I did, and I kind of took to it and uh, just kind of always enjoyed getting out there and talking to people and trying to do things for the community. So uh, I took my shot at it, and here I am. Do you have an earliest campaign memory or political memory? Man, I, I would say one of my earlier ones, and I, I kind of tell this story every once in a while, is, you know, back in the day, you would have to stuff envelopes. Uh, we, we didn't have so much of the technology that we had. There would be, you know, a, a thousand letters that would win, that went out and a uh, thousand envelopes. And I can always remember my dad every once in a while He'd be leaving for work uh, during the summer, not not in uh, Jefferson City, but his regular job in the car business. And he would drop off a couple banker boxes of things that we, my brother and I needed to stuff while he was at work that day. And then he'd come home later on that night and bring us something nice or whatever it was. But that would probably be one of my one of my earlier memories. But I. I I always remember more of the uh, uh, the grunt work as a kid than than anything. Putting up yard signs, knocking on doors, stuffing envelopes, things like that that we used to do a lot as a kid. <laughs> Did having both parents in politics inspire you to get into politics? Because some, I mean, the stuffing of the envelopes and the sure. yard signs that might turn me away as a child. You know, I I, I always felt that that. 
th- th- those types of things I-, I always think of like going to the gym. When you think about it, it's like, man, here we go. But then after you're done, you feel so much better for having done it, like knocking on doors and talking to people because you're, you're usually out there in the heat. And Because uh, my, my state representative district was always uh, more of a, a Democratic primary. So our big elections were in the uh, summertime, obviously. And then the general, it was such a heavily Democrat area that, excuse me, we, the generals usually weren't much of a problem. The, the race was really run in the... Uh, um, for the August primary. So getting out in the heat and talking to people was a lot like, oh man, here we go again, July, 100 degree weather, but we're going to do it. But then afterwards, when you got done, you, you, you felt better for having been out there and talked to people and found out what was important to them. And you kind of got a pulse of what was going on in the community. How old were you when your father was in the General Assembly? So uh, I believe my father started in 1985. He was a uh, it was a special uh, um, election, and uh, he won the special election. Uh, you can you don't hold me to this, but I believe it was 1985. So I would have been five years old then. There's actually a funny story of uh, the election night when he won that election. Everybody was obviously very excited that he won the election, and I was crying because I thought my dad was going to Jefferson City forever. And I didn't quite realize it at the time that, yes, he was going to be going to Jefferson City, you know, during the week, January to May, but that he would eventually be coming back home. So they 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 explained it to me. And there's a there's a picture actually in the Kansas City Star. It might have been the Times back then when they had two uh, circulations uh, of election night with everybody around the phone. And because back then, that's how you got the results, not on the Internet. And uh, I don't know if I'm in that picture because I think I was somewhere crying because I thought my dad was was leaving forever. I actually was going to ask, what was your impression as a child of the General Assembly? What did you think was happening? For me and my brother, what was happening was sliding down the marble hallways in our socks because that was fun. We used to just run as fast as we could and then slide as far as we could in our dress socks (laughs) every once in a while. But we, you know my dad had great friends and we were we were always around uh, other legislators who had children and and you know it was just kind of a a, a close-knit circle that they um, kind of ran in and and it was a it was a different uh, type of capital back then and um, I think every session's a little bit different so we we came down obviously for a lot of inaugurations and then we try to come down, you know, towards the end of session when a lot of family comes down, which, by the way, being a senator now is the most hectic time for your family to come down because you're trying to entertain your family as well as get your bills across the finish line or whatever it might be. But um, so, you know, we were in and out and we knew that there was a lot of stuff going on. We knew it was a, a very busy place that was impactful to the state. And we we understood the, the, the gravity of it, at least the way our parents taught it to me and my brother, that, that there was a lot of important business going down, going on in, in Jefferson City. So you entered the house at a very young age. I did. I was, uh, so I was 30. Um, I, I look a lot younger, I think, than, than um, I am, which, you know, will hopefully help me out later in life. But uh, uh, when I first came down, people would confuse me for being an intern uh, quite frequently. And uh, but no, I was I, I was 30 uh, when I when I first started. And I feel like, though, I, I had a lot more um, age and experience than than most of the freshmen that came in. Um, 
myself and Todd Richardson uh, both came in as kind of uh, legacies, so to speak. His dad and and, and my dad served together, so Todd and I kind of had a a good rapport from the beginning because we we kind of grew up in politics and understood uh, the basics of it, and uh, it, it it was tremendously helpful to have somebody that you could call in certain regards back when you very first started and you didn't quite know what was going on that was always going to be on your side and always going to try to uh, push you in the right direction. Because I remember coming down and other freshmen would look to different uh, people, lobbyists, uh, departments, things like that. And there are good lobbyists out there and you should... Uh, definitely take into consideration what they have to say, but you also need to also you very much understand that they they have an agenda, and they 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 uh, trying are trying to get that agenda passed, and it's important for people that are taking advice from them to really understand that. And I don't know if a lot of first year legislators do, uh, but you know, just as anything else, there are good lobbyists and there's bad lobbyists. So we'll be back with Senator John Rizzo after this message. And we're back with Senator John Rizzo. I actually wanted to ask, you've been in both the House and the Senate, Mm -hmm. and I was curious about how being a senator might be different from being a House member. So I I was in the House for six years. Uh, I was fortunate to be elected by my colleagues to be in leadership uh, for those six years as the House Minority Whip. And uh, when I went over to the Senate, I thought, you know, I have this experience and, and I've also been in leadership, so I have that experience and, you know, I, I'm going to be ahead of the game and, and understand a lot more. And the, the thing I try to emphasize to people that ask questions from the House is it's just completely different. It, 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 you know, I, I, I knew more because I understood the process of actually how the bill works its way through and um, technical sessions and how long things have to sit on the calendar and things like that. But the, the, the Senate is just, a, in my opinion, a completely different animal uh, than the House. It, you are dependent on a lot more by your party, by um, different people, uh, because you do have the ability to filibuster. And you are not in the uh, super minority, which I spent, I believe, four of my six years in, and then the other two were pretty close. So um, but you have a plethora of people that have no, um, they will come by your office and try to get you to filibuster every single day at the beginning because you're in the minority and it's your job to push back, so to speak. And they're hoping that their issue is the issue that you want to push back on. So in the house you are in, when we were, when I was there, I was in the super minority, there wasn't a lot um, you could really do to kind of stop the train, even derail the train. Um, we obviously made our points, and we tried to do the best we could to always have our voices heard. And if we could change something, we would. But in the Senate, you 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 do kind of have that ability. And and one of the biggest things I think you have to learn early um, as a senator is when to use that and when not to use that. And that pressure in itself of everybody kind of expecting or wanting so much um, is a lot at first and then you, you you've kind of fall into it and, and start start to understand and how to manage it and your time and your schedule and all that and I've got two fantastic staff members and in, in Tom Hoppy and and 
excuse me, and Lisa Hurst, and they 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 do a, a, a amazing job. I wouldn't be able to 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 be down here if it wasn't for them. But uh, it it really is. It, it's really really different. Um, you've had background in politics. You came in as one of the more knowledgeable freshmen uh, of your class. But what do you think of term limits? Um, so having been able to see um, the Capitol older, I mean, I understand I was still, you know, a late teenager, uh, early 20s when, when my dad left. But before term limits and kind of after term limits, um, it, I could see I could see how the people how people in the outside world believe term limits are a good thing. Um, I think that uh, there could be a possibility for having them at, at more of a um, extension uh, in eight years. You know, having been somebody that was knowledgeable before I came into this building, it still took me two to four years to figure out exactly what was going on and how to get something done. Now, I left the house early, so had I not left the house early, I then would have only had four years after that to really try to deliver something for my community. And I was one of the more, like you said, in my opinion, one of the more knowledgeable people because I had been down here and I kind of knew my way around. Um, I couldn't imagine, you know, having been a, a pipe fitter or a plumber or uh, somebody like that, that that becomes a legislator because they want to get civically involved, having no background in politics, having no background in the process, um, how long it would take them to learn that process. Um, and, and I've also noticed over my, just, just my tenure, lobbyists becoming more powerful because we leave and they stay here. And I remember one time uh, I asked a lobbyist, you know, what if because I was on a committee and I just said, you know, what if I, I stop your bill every year, you know, the best I could in the House, of course, which was probably not going to happen. But, you know, if, if somebody else did and they just said, I, I, I just wait you out, you're going to leave. I'm not. And and uh, sure enough, uh, over my tenure in the House, uh, I saw bills that were, you know, dead on arrival one year and then there would be an election cycle happen. A person would term limit out and then next year they would pass. And you're, I can see, I can see why people um, generally think they're a good idea, but I, I see a lot more drawbacks than benefit to eight years in the House, eight years in the Senate. Would you propose a different length of time for term limits, or, or just no term limits at all? Um, I think that I think that um, you 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 could probably look at some of the stuff that's been filed in the past as a good kind of middle ground where it was there was one that was like 16 years in either chamber um obviously there's been no term limits you know i think i think sometimes we have uh, strife in the senate because people are in that second four years and they know they're not coming back they know that maybe they're not going to run statewide or for another office. And at that point, you know, they just become pirates and they're not looking to, to, to do anything but kind of derail um, the train. And, and there's no ramifications because they're not coming back. Um, I remember people from back in the day, Senator Matheson, you know, Senator Caskey, uh, that would absolutely have to keep that would keep lobbyists in check because and other senators in check because they knew if somebody did something adverse to them that you were probably going to have to deal with that senator for maybe the next 10 15 years 
and there was always a ramification in the in it kind of the Senate kind of um, governed uh, itself within that chamber because of relationships, and you didn't want to burn bridges because you knew that if hey, if I was going to have a career here and I was going to be here for a while, I better not lie about this. I better not you know give someone my word and then and then turn around and double them because next year I might want to get something else done. And this person may be on that committee. This person may filibuster it. And so we have a lot of strife sometimes, I think, because there's people that just are they're in their second year, year, their second four years. Maybe they've exhausted all their time in the House. They don't want to run for another office. And there's just nothing uh, um, appealing to them to not blow the place up, so to speak. <laughs> Well, I'm going to switch uh, gears a little bit. I wanted to talk about the new efforts to put Medicaid expansion uh, on the ballot. Can you give us some idea of how successful you think that effort will be? And do you think that's the right way to go as opposed to a legislative solution or legislative proposal for Medicaid expansion? Yeah, I mean, so I have several thoughts on this. Um the first one is I think that Democrats in general um, let the 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 um, voters of the state of Missouri off the hook a lot of times in regards to uh, things being put on the ballot because, as we saw like last cycle, they voted for our issues, right? They voted for the things that we believe in, but they didn't vote for Democrats. So the next logical step in that situation is they would have to change their legislature. And there's a lot of times when, you know, we have a lot of good things. Medicaid expansion is, is a fantastic thing. We should have done it years ago. It's something that, that is almost a necessity in, in today's world with the way healthcare is and as a state. And we just have failed to do it for, for a long time, and we, we, we should have done it a long time ago. And so people can go in, and they can vote to expand Medicaid, and then they will also, for some reason, and, and I'm sure there's smarter people than me trying to figure this out, and for some reason will go in and vote for state representatives and state senators that have opposed it for years. And then they get what they want, but they don't have to change their legislator who continually doesn't work in their best interest sometimes on big issues specifically, but they get they get the, 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 the kind of smaller caveat uh, issue that they want done. So there is something to be said for making people have to really look at their legislator that they don't really have to do now and how they vote because they can vote for their issue separately. Um, you know, we, we, we saw, we've seen a lot of it. Uh, the other issue is, um, so we're dealing with this right now with medical marijuana. Obviously, the state voted overwhelmingly for medical marijuana. So what ends up happening is the, the, it's, it's, it's written up by somebody that's out of state, an industry, whatever, um, official or person out of state. They put it on the ballot, and then we as a legislature, especially uh, you know the department, has to go through and figure out how to implement it instead of working hand in glove together on what the best remedy or solution is for the state of Missouri and the people of the state of Missouri we're now having this issue thrust upon us because of inaction by the legislature. So we're trying to continually put a round, what is it, a square peg into a round hole. 
And uh, I, I think the department is really trying to work diligently through the medical marijuana process that was put on them. But there's going to be a lot of hiccups because it wasn't their plan. It wasn't the legislature's plan. Um, the department wasn't didn't really have a lot of influence on it. I believe there were three different separate uh, um, initiatives. One of them passed. And so it, it really ties their hands as to what they can and can't do. So back to circling back to Julie's question about the Medicaid, do you think this will go through? Uh, I, I think that it's interesting. To see, it will be an interesting vote. Um, it depends on the, the cycle a lot of those uh, initiatives do um, and what else is on the ballot. Um, I, I, I think that it's probably polling better than it ever has in the state of Missouri. I don't believe in 2016 it would have won. I don't believe even in 14 or 12 it would have won. Um, but I think that uh, people now are starting to come to the realization as they're getting thrown off the rolls, as rural hospitals close, that we're in a situation that we have to do something. And if you know, if you poll healthcare, if you look at healthcare, even at the national level, it just pulls through the roof. I mean, we're not doing what we should be doing to provide healthcare for people, to reduce prescription drug costs uh, as a state, as a country. And people are angry about it, and they should be. And um, the state needs to do this to be able to move forward fiscally and cover people, uh, uh, health care. And, and so I think that there is more of an opportunity than there has been in the past. Speaking fiscally, I, I've um, kind of dove into this issue a little bit and speaking with some of uh, Republicans about this issue Expanding Medicaid, they say, will just increase the cost. I know that the idea is to draw more dollars down from the federal government, um, but they say that there will be the state will be on the hook for more, and it will in turn it won't be fiscally respons responsible. So, what's your response to that? I guess. Sure, uh, I, I would say that this is the Medicaid program that was. Uh, brought forward when Governor Blunt was governor with the Republican legislature. Um, I've been down here, uh, I believe this is my, just finished my ninth session. Um, and every year I've been hearing about we got to find all the waste, fraud, and abuse before we can move forward. And I think they're still looking for all the waste, fraud, and abuse because we're not moving forward. Um, it, it became a political football for a very long time under President Obama. Um, and branding it Obamacare and running it running against DC on this issue, and I think people are still um, carrying that flag, and they don't know how to put it down, so to speak. So, um, I, I would say in the personal conversations that I have with legislators, they understand that we need to do it. Um, they're just trying to figure out how we do it, or I would say they're just trying to figure out how they do it with the least amount of ramification. When you say you're having personal conversations with legislators who say Missouri needs to expand Medicaid, are are you talking about Republicans? Sure. I, yeah, and that comes from different different um, different positions. Um, there are, there are definitely Republicans that believe that we need to do it um, for fiscal means. There are definitely other Republicans that say that we need to do it before it gets thrust on us, and they would much rather have input on the way we do it than a, a plan come from. Uh, the outside, and then we have to implement it. But yeah, I, I, I think that there are, I, I know that there are, there are, I think they're few and far between, but there are definitely Republicans 
in the chambers that that would like to take a billion dollars to cover people in their state with health care from the federal government. So addressing gun violence has been very important to the Democrats, especially in the urban areas. But what do the Democrats propose? How, how do you get anything done on that issue? Missouri is very pro-Second Amendment. They have some of the looser um, gun laws in the country. How do you get more people on board? I mean, in my opinion, I think the people are already on board. Um, I mean, you, you you look at background checks. Ninety percent of people believe that background checks need to be stricter. Um, it's just a matter of kind of breaking that logjam of, you know, the NRA and and some of these outside groups that are uh, continually promulgating different um, uh, different. I don't want to just. I mean, different lies, so to speak. Um, and, and, you know, my father-in-law is a hunter. My brother-in-law is a hunter, and they live in Jasper. They live in Jasper, Missouri. He has a walk-in safe. He's a gun collector and goes to a variety of gun shows and, and, and does a lot of um, uh, deals and things like that. And he, they will both look at you and say, we got to do something about these background checks. And we've got to look more into who is purchasing guns and how to keep them out of the hands of people that should never be near them. But does that come with more education? What, I mean, what does that, because uh, Governor Mike Parson sat down with leaders from the Legislative Black Caucus, and they emerged saying that even the governor, the top Republican in the state, was concerned about his sway that he would have on other Republicans. He didn't think that it was strong enough to convince them that Missouri might need stricter background checks, even though he's for that. Sure, and I would, I would, I would, um, I, I would probably agree with him in that. I don't think this legislature is going to pass background checks the way the makeup of it is now. There was this Republican majority legislature will not pass background checks, in my opinion, um, and that's why we've got to work around the issue in different ways. And you know, when I was in the House, I uh, helped secure some money for the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department for a shot spotter, which pinpoints uh, with ac- extreme accuracy when a gun is fired, uh, and then immediately notifies the police, and they're notified immediately things like that. Um, more community policing. I know when I grew up in, in the inner city uh, as a kid, I knew who my neighborhood officer was. They were around. They were at neighborhood events. They were, they, you knew them by name and, and they knew you. And um, we, we've got to look more into issues like that as a legislature to try to be able to uh, solve that problem as much as we can. Because the background check thing is going to be something that is very similar to medical marijuana, very similar to uh, Medicaid expansion. At some point, somebody outside of Missouri will put a bunch of money together, they will put it on the ballot, and it will pass. And that's the disconnect that you've seen, not just on the gun control issue, um, but on uh, a variety of issues, is the, the, the lack of continuity between the legislature in Jefferson City and the people that they represent. I mean, we've heard you talk about this disconnect a couple different times, Medicaid expansion, medical marijuana, background checks. Why do you think there is a disconnect between the legislature and what may possibly pass through a popular vote? I think a a, a big majority of some of the problems that we have down here come down to the way that we have um, drawn our, our lines in redistricting uh, in the past. 
and you have gotten to the point to where Democrats are in heavily fortified Democrat districts, Republicans are in heavily fortified Republican districts, and when that happens, it becomes a contest of a primary. And as I think most people probably listening to this know and understand, if that's the case, then the 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 most um, extreme on both sides usually are what prevail in the primary because you're speaking to the sort of uh, red meat of your base to win your primary. And there is no um, reason to compromise. And in fact, sometimes compromising um, can hurt you. Uh, I, I'm not in that position because I, I you know, my district is uh, pretty even, um, even killed. I mean, it's a, it's in my opinion, it's a pretty safe Democrat district, but it's not a 80% Democrat district. Um, uh, a lot of Republican districts are uh, pretty Republican, right? And um, you couple that with the, the 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 money they're able to raise and and the the kind of um, machine that they have built up, and I don't fault them for it. I, I would you know. I wish we had a, a, a machine as good as what they've had run in the last 20 years, so to speak. Um, but it, it creates a disconnect because you're only speaking to your primary voters. The primary voters are the only ones that are really getting influence. And the only way to make them happy is by being as far to the left or as far to the right as you possibly can. And so when you come down here, the only people you're legislating for, unfortunately, this isn't my case by any means, uh, but the only people that they tend to legislate for are the people that are on the extreme sides of, um, uh, of the party. So there's no compromise. And when there's no compromise, there, when tough issues come up, there, there's no reason to get to the solution. They're not going to be held accountable by their district by getting to the solution. Right. So, the, the, in, I mean, for some Republican legislators, compromising on Medicaid expansion is a death sentence to them in their next election. So when you have uh, a dis- districts that are a majority of the districts that are drawn that way, it makes it extremely difficult for us to compromise on big issues because you have a majority legislature who's just speaking to one audience, so to speak. With that in mind, um, what do you think are um, Nicole Galloway's chances at being the next governor? Uh, I think she's a great candidate. I think she's a great candidate. I think she's a great person. I think that uh, um, a lot of it comes down to you know her ability to fundraise, um, her ability to get um, people excited. Uh, and 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 ready to make some changes, and obviously she's going to have to uh, work her tail off, and uh, she she must have some sort of um, insight into how she can win the ra- win the race because I don't know anybody that would want to run uh, two statewide races, you know, back to back, and and she she's done a a fantastic job, and she'll she'll do a a good job campaigning. She's a hard worker. And it's just going to be a matter of whether or not she can get some people in the national party or whatever it might be or outside of Missouri interested enough to help us in the state of Missouri. A lot of the problems we have as a Democratic Party in Missouri is 
the Democratic Party is being run, it appears from my perspective, by the coasts. Um, you know, California and, and different uh, New York and wherever else, D.C., obviously. And they don't really speak to the Midwest and Midwestern values. And if they decide that they want to start listening to some Midwestern Democrats and um, listening to, to what we do and, and investing in candidates in the Midwest and, and growing um, a national bench, that would be uh, beneficial uh, because we, we just we we have to we have to be we have to set outside of that brand here in Missouri, but we also have to um, understand where they're coming from. Can you name one or two things in your district that you wish people would go and visit? We actually just uh, the other day uh, broke ground on the renovations for the Harry S. Truman Library. And it's going to be getting a huge facelift here over the next year. It should be somewhere between twenty-five and thirty million dollars, and uh, so that you know, I, I would wait until they're done. Obviously, it's closed now, but it should be um, up and running. We should be doing another groundbreaking, maybe in you know a year, nine to ten months to a year, and uh, that facility, that that building is going to be amazing. Uh, if you look at the walkthrough and some of the stuff that they're going to be doing to it, it's going to get just a huge facelift. It's going to be a very different Harris Truman Museum and Library than it was when I went through it when I was a kid. So I, I would absolutely uh, take the trip and uh, take a look at that when that project gets done because it's going to be really, really cool. That is a great recommendation. You can read all of our stories at stlpublicradio.org. You can follow me on Twitter at J.S. O'Donohue, and you can follow Jacqueline at Driscoll NPR. Senator Rizzo, where can we find you on Twitter or on the World Wide Web? So on Twitter, it's uh, John J. Rizzo. And then I have Facebook is just my uh, just John Rizzo Senator. It should pop up my Senate uh, page. So, OK, thank you so much. Thanks for listening. My father's house shines hard and bright. It stands like a beacon calling me in the night, calling and calling.